thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Engley, joined, as always, by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? Ryan, I'm doing great today. How you doing? Doing very well. And uh, we are, um, you know, I'm back in California, so we are uh, Sister I, Act I know. 2, back in the I habit on, on this, I think. Is, uh, is 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 how we're we're doing this from here. It's nice to nice to be back. Uh, this makes no difference for the listener whatsoever where I am. But uh, but yeah, but for us it is uh, it, it does it does introduce a, a slight temporal difference. Uh, we had enjoyed the East Coast uh, simultaneity, but you know that's right. Here we are. Here we are. And today to ce- to celebrate the the West Coast um, as uh, as Karl Marx would have, we we're talking about surplus value. Um, and this is this is interesting. We, I think, so we, we'd have, we've been long planning, this is a little bit behind the curtain, long planning uh, a, a sustained uh, Marx episode. And I think our uh, our interest had at one point been to do a look at the Grundrisse, which we might do. Um, right. But we wanted to get into um, a concept. And there is a concept that starts there that um, a number of people, including Marx himself, uh, thought was his most important. And that is the uh, subject of, uh, of today's podcast, uh, surplus value. How does it, how does it start? Let's, let's, let's give, let's give some history here. Well, so the, 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 so the word in German is Mehrwert, which is just more value. Mm. And it starts, well, it's interesting because it does, it starts, as you mentioned in the Grundrisse, so around 1957, but the Grundrisse is just notebooks that Marx made. And then when he published a book, in 59, the contribution to critique of political economy, there was no discussion of surplus value. So it's only 10 years after he originates the concept in Grundrisse in volume one of Capital, published in 1867, that he that we get this first official idea of surplus value. But the, your question of where it comes from is, is, is sort of fascinating because I'm not sure that he... So... In in the economic and philosophic manuscripts, we we have talked about when we talked about a strange yeah. labor a long time mm-hmm. ago. Long time. Ago. Uh, he there's in that in that work he's he is he's thinking about explo- the ex the the capitalist exploitation of the proletariat, but it's not yet theorized as the appropriation of surplus value. So it's as he's mm-hmm. working out his. I think this is important. I think it's as he's re- working out his relation to the political economists, so uh, Adam Smith and David Ricardo, among others, it's mm. as he's working out their labor theory of value. So for both Smith and Ricardo, it's not what it we commonly think. So even though they're the originary theorists of capital for capitalists themselves, mm-hmm. uh, they do not think that value is... Uh, driven by supply and demand. So that's, I think that's the common way we think about mm-hmm. value, that it's, that's, that's the common sensical capitalist way of thinking about value. If, if something, if there's a huge supply of something and no demand, the value goes down. If there's a huge right. uh, demand for it and no supply, the, the value goes up. But neither Smith nor Ricardo thought that. They thought, no, it's the labor that goes into something that creates its value. And Marx this is a little contested. So some Marxists think, no, he's actually really deviating from them and you can't even call it a labor theory of value anymore. But I think most think that he does articulate his version of the labor theory of value, which is to say, yeah, that's right. Labor creates value, but it's only the labor in excess of 
what's needed, and this is a fascinating thing, what's needed to reproduce mm-hmm. the society is the labor in exile, or in the sense of this, the, the, the one confined act of, of production, the, the labor necessary to reproduce the worker and the capitalist. It's the, it's the labor in excess of that that creates surplus value. So that's how, that's where the idea comes from. So it comes from, so Adam Smith and David Ricardo are known as political economists. It comes from political, so when he writes critique of political economy, that's who he's critiquing. Uh, it comes from them. And then it, Marx gives it this labor theory of value, this deviation to saying it's actually, actually surplus. It's only labor, surplus labor that gives us value. Yeah, and th- so that's great, and a great, and a, and a very that was a that was a quick history. Did a lot of he- heavy lifting right there. You're probably a bit tired. The, I'm tired. I'm, I'm going to leave it to you for a while. You're going to leave it to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, I what's what's important to sort of just nail down at the at the outside of this, and like, and in, in going into this is that it is not the uh, the difference in materiality and in, in the material cost in the raw number that Marx is. is interested in in the idea it's it's not so it it is i mean so what what todd's trying to do is is make it clear that like he's it's it's within the realm of political economy but he's accounting for it in a way that is uh different from ricardo and uh from smith that right what what he's trying to 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 show is that uh, you gave me this really nice example, so I'm going to give you credit on this. It's it's when you get three people to do one job, no matter what it is, they don't do it three times fast. They do it like 10 times fast. Right. And then it would take like a single person to do. And it's that the the so the difference between an uh, an actual like rigorous accounting of 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 that uh, speed of production versus what they're compensated. That's the thing that has to be repeated. And there's like, there, there's some really interesting word choices. It, it doesn't make sense to get into this right now exactly because uh, th- this is like a later conversation, but he, in the English translation uh, to capital volume one, <clears throat> this gets uh, talked about, uh, at length in a um, in an appendix section that was originally supposed to be in the English version and never was until much later, but it was in the German and the Russian. It was this like linking section between Capital Volume One and Two, and he repeatedly talks about a like a like a compulsion, like he talks about surplus value as a compulsion. So we're gonna get into that uh, a little bit later because it sounds very psychoanalytic, but yeah. it's. It's not, unfortunately. Um, it would be really nice if it was, but it's not. So, but but the to take the the psychical thing out of it, just like just for a second, it's the the surplus value, like extracting surplus value from Marx. That is the becomes the what the capitalist is after. It's That's not. Right. It's it's not even like it, these things are inextricable. It's not really profit but it is extracting the surp- surplus value because when you talk about profit like there you're you, you are implicitly also bringing the like the sale of the of the of the commodity into it but that's like you were saying earlier like that's not even there's still surplus value even if there is bad supply and demand 
right? Like that was right. that was kind of what you were getting at right. earlier. Like 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 you you sell something and nobody you put something on the market and nobody wants to buy it for the price that you're selling it at, so you have to discount it. Um, and like in a again in a raw materiality sense, it'd be like, oh well, there's much less surplus value, perhaps even negative surplus value. Uh, when I when I worked at Walmart, we had like you've probably seen people at Walmart who have those like price scanner guns. Yeah. And there's there's all kinds of information on there, Todd, that's really interesting. It tells you what the products are sold at um, versus cost. Oh, wow. And t- the I, I would tr- sometimes do this thing like like for I don't know if I was ever talking to because the job was just awful. So I would try to talk to anyone who was in the store for yeah. as long as they would listen to me to, <laughs> to suffer a conversation with me in the retail yeah. environment. Yeah. And if it was ever germane to the conversation, I would because I worked in the electronics department, I would ask them what they thought was the markup on televisions. You know, like what was what were they being sold for above right. what they cost? And right. everyone was like, I don't know, 30, 40, 50. Most TVs we sold at a loss. Wow. Other big ticket items, video game systems, most of them sold below cost. The biggest markups are on things like HDMI cables. Those are like like marked up like a thousand percent. And and so like the things that you need like or like surge protectors or whatever the things that you need to to use the big ticket item those things are marked up an incredible amount and when you're a, a store like walmart you're of course not just selling televisions you know you're also selling food like things like bananas like just an incredible markup incredible and it's, you're markup. just like how how is that possible it's 69 cents for yeah. like it's an incredible markup and like again on the gun you can see it there at least at least one I was working there. It would say like minus whatever or plus whatever. So you could get like, you didn't even have to go like deep into the functions of the, the thing. It was called a Telzon or a something. I don't know what it was. That's what it was called. And you didn't have to go deep into the functions to see it. So anyway, what to kind of like wrap up this like sort of like opening thing is that like the, even the, even like that television being sold uh, at a loss or if uh, a, a particular clutch of products don't um, represent like literal return on investment that is separate from surplus value, which comes from the exploitation of the labor that was used to make the product in the first place. Right. That's the point. You right. know, and, 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 and that's crucial. So yeah, 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 it's absolutely crucial. I mean, one of what, one of the things Marx was trying to do when he invented the concept of surplus value was to have something to distinguish, not just from profit, but also from price. And I think your, mm-hmm. your example's really good that the surplus, somebody, people could just decide, we don't want to buy these crappy <laughs> flat screen TVs anymore. We want to buy mm-hmm. TVs with a nice big tube that weigh a lot more because that seems cool. Uh, or Todd, you know why? Because there's no ads on them. You know what I mean? There's oh, all, there you all go. kinds of ads on my there smart TV now. Right. Like you can't right, even navigate right. it, but for right. I can't move on the screen, but for ads. Anyway, I would yeah. just rather have a dumb TV that doesn't have ads. Yes. Right. So I think yeah. and so yeah. I and so all these smart TVs are line are there in Walmart and they have to just as you say, to sell them, they have to price them below what would realize any surplus value in the sale. Right. And I think mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. this is a distinction that Coach uh, and Caratani makes a whole lot of, but Marx. It's the distinction is there in Marx, but it's 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 not 
it's not fully fleshed out, I don't think. So the distinction mm-hmm. is this between the production of surplus value, as you say, in the in the act of laboring, laborers who are working together to produce something that then they produce it beyond what could reproduce their labor, and that extra labor is surplus labor. The surplus labor is surplus value. It's what really creates surplus value. And then, this is Caratani's point, again, Mark's kind of his point, that it has to be realized on the market. So if you if you create surplus value through production and no one will buy the thing, then it's just, it's idle surplus value. So it doesn't, it never went through that second stage of being realized, but that second stage requires this move from surplus value to price. And that relationship mm-hmm. for Marx, this is a, this is one of the main, this is one, of the, not the main, but one of the main critiques of Marx is that, well, no pr- price really is value. I mean, this is, that's a pretty Mm -hmm. standard, I don't think it's right, but it's a pretty standard critique that you're kind of creating this new thing, surplus value, and you're, and you say it doesn't, it's not price, but you don't have a great theory of why, how that relationship works itself out, you know, manifests itself between price and surplus value. So I think that that's, that's one line of of criticism, but, but your point is, Right, that the different there's a for Marx a difference between price and surplus value, and or between the production of surplus value and the realization of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. And the the there's a I guess a, a secret sauce to the right. uh, to the to, right. to the realization, and that is the um I, I don't I don't I wonder if you know what I what I'm going to say on this. It's the uh, it's the collective. It's getting the collective involved. It's it's there now. Normally, I think. You know, I, I think I, I I think this that like uh collect like like collectivity is like one of the great tools that we have against uh against capital. Um, and what's interesting is if you if you you know if you really you really read uh, Marx on this point in uh in Capital Volume One, but really I mean the the key text for this is Capital Volume Three. Um, and it's it, it is the uh you need many workers to be able to create surplus value, which is just like in the, you know, just in that example from a couple minutes ago, you need 10 people, not 10 people, sorry. You need three people doing a job to get it done 10 times fast. You know, like you, you don't, you don't find the one person, the one person who can do the job three times fast and they make 10 times as much money. You know what I mean? Like that's not how the whole enterprise works. Yeah. I, I, uh, Ryan, that's yeah. right. Like, I think Marx believes that there, without mass production, there's no capitalism, right? You yeah. can't have just people working on their own. That's the feudal artisan, right? That you can't, right. for Marx, right. you, you can't have that because the, the single person working on their own, who's their own boss, is not creating any surplus value. So, so for Marx, right. there's no, it's interesting, you know, because he even, he even thinks that people working in service positions aren't creating mm-hmm. surplus value, mm-hmm. right? So he, I think what, this is an example from Volume 1 of Capital that the, the person who's making a piano is creating surplus value if they're making it you know, on an assembly line or whatever. Uh, but the person playing a piano, like Billy Joel at a concert, <laughs> is not creating surplus value. He's just, there's just there 
I mean, he probably, obviously, he profits from the concert, but there's mm-hmm. no there's no generation of any additional value at a Billy Joel concert for nice. Marks. Nice, yeah. which is a fascinating thing. I mean, it, it's a, it's it's it's. I wonder what he would think now, since so much of our the way that profit is created is through intellectual property, right? And just the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just the the monopolizing of it. And, and through things like most, there's a lot of people that are like Billy Joel, I think. Yeah. That are, you know, that are, yeah. No, it's interesting. The, I've brought him up before. Dean Baker is the, like, the left economist who, who talks about intellectual property a lot. Yeah. Uh, in, a, in a lot of, in a lot of writings that he makes uh, available to people. And it, it is, you're right about, like, um, the idea of, of uh, IP, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of intellectual property, not needing to have a physical commodity, like to be real, to be, to realize capital. That's, um, I mean, that's, that's pretty, it's a big thing. Much, it's a big it's thing. A and big then, thing. Yeah. right. And then, and then, and then you're the whole idea of mass production is changed when that occurs. I think what a Marxist would say it, for, I mean, Marx does have a theory of that, to be fair. He has a theory of what he calls rent which is not right. rent in the yeah. way that we think of it, but rent, for instance, Bill Gates charges rent for, the, and mm-hmm. if you have Microsoft on your computer, you are in some way paying for this unless you've stolen it. Uh, <laughs> right. Bill Gates charges rent for Microsoft Word and Microsoft Teams and all these stupid things, Excel, right? right. right? And so he, the profit that Microsoft makes is not, it's almost nothing through the actual through some production of something. It's just the it's just the guarding of their intellectual property and the charging of rent for it. But making it a I, making it a license, not a thing that you a license, sell. correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And but I think one Marxist explanation of this really doctrinaire Marxist explanation of our situation, and I don't think this is even I'm pretty I'm pretty convinced of this, is that all of this intellectual property and charging of rent on it exists on it's it's in a way it's in a way exists on top of this bald exploitation of labor to create the material things that yeah. all of that intellectual property runs on right, those right. That, like all, the computer, all the, the, smart the computer TV, right yeah. none of those things okay obviously there are some people that use them in the countries that produce them but mm-hmm. the majority of the people that are using them are displaced from the area where they're produced so they can be produced for very cheaply and then mm-hmm. sold for a lot of surplus value in the <laughs> in the the place where they're used so i think that that's it's a, you know we've talked about on this show we've talked about cobalt and the way that mm-hmm. the role that cobalt plays in the battery of every electronic device and that couldn't those the workers mining the cobalt if they were paid according to what the the value that they create they would stop they would after a couple of weeks they would stop mining <laughs> they'd say right. okay i've had enough i'm going to go get an rv and travel around or whatever <laughs> you know, right i mean they just right they, right right it, yeah. It, yeah it's yeah. it's not commend the point is the, the the point is like the value that they create is so 
disproportionate to the wildly, to the that seemed, wildly, yeah, yeah, yeah. like it, it, to to factors that are unimaginable, unimaginable, really, like inner, right. like like you, we all like it, anybody listening to this, like you're exploited in your the job that you do, like anybody listening to this, I like I, I you really think it's true of me? I think that pro- I think that it has to be I th- I that like there is a value to. Like, like, don't you, th- well, okay. So this get, like getting into a side conversation about education. Like, obviously like the students are overcharged. Right. And I think, I think that it, it, it functions on this, on this, uh, what, what the seeming, uh, I, I don't want to use the word contradiction here, but so I would like to preserve that to mean something else. Okay. Uh, this, a seeming impediment that like, I, I think you, you, like everybody, like at every level. So, okay. So the students are overcharged. Yeah. And I think for the number of jobs, like I know your chair now for the number of jobs that like the, the, uh, the average academic does like underpaid, like, like if it was just, if it was I just, guess. Teaching, you know, I if guess. it was just writing, I think so, but it doesn't, but then how does it, you know, how does it work? If the, if it's a fair, if it's a fair, uh, uh, tuition, then what happens to the like our like to, right. to the wages like you know right. the, the, where's that, the wage coming from where's right. the wage you know right. so like so that so then the whole it's so the, the whole exactly so the whole thing like like moves in that direction well it's like you know uh the, the 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 tuition has to keep going up because people have to keep getting paid more because the interest keeps going up but like you know the uh there was there was a um yeah, so here I suppose I'll say this. Uh, um, it, I'm not going to name the, the people involved, but I remember there was a email that went out about like uh, at the toward the end of the um, portion of the pandemic where we were all um, masking uh, in classrooms and, and 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 things. So like for me, this would have been because I had the last year off. Uh, this would have been almost two years ago. There was an yep. email that went out that like because of um, financial negotiations, the college was going to be able to give people a, uh, a percentage, um, raise like everybody, like across the board, like all, all workers. Okay. And somebody, uh, piped up to say that this doesn't keep up anywhere close to inflation. So what you're actually, uh, giving people is a pay reduction and like, nobody <laughs> wanted to touch that email. And, yeah. and, and so anyway, like that's the, so this is the, like, I, I think like, this is what's so valuable about reading these, Books for one thing, and this is just a kind of like a dead stupid point to to bring up, but like the way that things exist in 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 uh, like the way that that I go through every day, I imagine a lot of people go through every day, like like absorbing information and reading things, is just like at an absolute breakneck pace because it is through the smartphone, it's through this cobalt right. device that we we're talking right. about, <laughs> and there is just something, right. there's almost something quaint about you're sitting down to read one, two or three books about capital as a process. And it's just like, it's just like it arrests it a little bit. I think that's right. It's, it's quilted. And I, and I, and I think that it it seems as though like the, again, that's, that's why why I gave this whole thing. Like, like the tuition problem is inextricable from the wage problem, inextricable from the inflation problem, inextricable, you know, cost of living as a, as a crisis, like from inextricable from rent, because like, in a sense, like every everything is rent. Like we have like the absolute expansion of the coal mine 
model where like we have access to all kinds of things and we own none of it. And, and so it's, it right. seems, you know, cause, cause in the coal mine, you know, you get paid in company script. So like, did you really own the right. chair that you bought from the company right. store because you paid for it in company money? So right. it's not really yours. It's the, the company's. So like, and there's just all kinds of, there's just all kinds of things like that. It seems too big to even like arrest or to interrupt. I think that's a great point, man. That's a great point because, you know, Hillary calls it, she calls our epoch subscription capitalism. And I think, I think that's pretty good. We were, we were trying to unsubscribe to various things and it is an incredibly hard process. (laughs) But what's interesting is the subscriptions don't allow you to own anything. And I think that's a crucial part of it because Mm -hmm. on the one hand, Clearly, there's something pathological about people that would just want to buy up things and own a bunch of stuff. But there's mm-hmm. also, I think this, this is what you're hitting on, is there's something really uh, that characterizes our contemporary capitalist epoch that, that doesn't allow, that wants to deprive all consumers of any ownership so that they are having to, they have to constantly go back and purchase again and again and again. And I think yes. that's a really that I, I think you're right that Marx, he's he's really like there's nothing dated about so much of his analysis. And I think mm-hmm. the the idea surplus value seems to me a especially valuable concept because it you know, this happens at the very beginning of Capital Volume Three, which I think you share my view that this is the Marx, this is the masterpiece yeah. by Marx. I yeah, think it's think so. incredible. Precisely because it's really the beginning of Capital Volume 3 is really where he develops this idea of surplus value. And mm-hmm. one of the first things he says, it's in the first couple paragraphs, is you have to be able to distinguish between profit and, and surplus value. So he says, interestingly, he says profit is essentially the same thing as surplus value. But then the key thing he says, except it's in a mystified form. Yes. So that... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a key thing. What does he mean by mystified form? What he means is that when you think in terms of profit rather than in terms of surplus value, you this comes back to the first chapter of Capital Volume 1 on the commodity. You think mm-hmm. in terms of commodity fetishism because what you mm-hmm. don't see, what commodity fetishism hides is labor. And I yes. think that's what you don't see when you think in terms of profit because you think, I invested this amount of money, for instance, I, I, I was talking to, uh, oh, our dean, our, the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences yesterday. I was in a meeting with him, and he said, I like him a lot. He's a very nice guy. But he pointed out that the college, for once, we're always indebted to the university, which is a bizarre, well, how can a college that's part of the university be indebted? <laughs> it's a, just a crazy it's an thing. conundrum. Yeah. I know. And they always are indebting arts and sciences by giving they 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 give extra financial aid to engineering and business students because they they think those are the really valuable students these arts and sciences they're a dime a dozen so it's just it's it's corrupt it's horrible it's whatever uh but he said we're actually 4 million to the good and we're all like oh how did that happen what happened he's like well we made some good investments on and this is what they do so the the students pay you were just talking about that the students mm-hmm. pay and August, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't have to pay the faculty (laughs) until, you know, as the year goes along. So it turns out they just invest that money they get. 
and they've made a $4 million surplus based okay. on, and I'm sure, my God, it must be worse at all these top places. Uh, but they have this, so they have this surplus, and it, it seems like it's just profit. And that's how the dean mm-hmm. presents, just profit. We just got a nice profit on these investments. <laughs> And I'm, of course, we're all like, excellent. We're all really happy because we're thinking maybe he'll give our department another tenure track line or some exciting thing like that. But, mm-hmm. but, uh, but what no one said, inclusive of me, no one said, wait a minute, there's a lot of exploitation of surplus labor that yeah. went into that profit on the stock market. Yes. It's compl- it is so mystified, Ryan, that you couldn't yeah. even... You couldn't even untangle it if you if you went into like a serious analysis of what we were invested in and what how that pro- turned. You know, there's just no way to do mm-hmm. it. There's no way to do it. It's uh, just um, very very quickly on this. I remember one year as a grad student at your university being uh, my first uh, check uh, uh, being <laughs> late, and I missed rent. And the my landlord was very cool to not need it on the first of the month, but it wasn't really clear when the first check was coming. And so I, I went to some office on campus and I, um, I, I said, is there any way to get an advance on that from like, and then I, you know, I wouldn't, won't get the check when it goes out, but like to get, and what ended up happening was I, um, I took out a loan and I didn't realize <sighs> what was happening. And uh, that I just uh, fin- <laughs> finished paying off uh, actually several months ago. Um, th- and anyway, so it's it, like that's just like that's really, really interesting. Like the. the uh, so well, that's like, a ki- the- Ryan, just to kind of interrupt, because I think that's a Go really ahead. key point that, you know, Marx's claim is that every. So we're talking about the way the students are loaning the university the money. Mm-hmm. And then the, yeah. the you, the worker, has to take out a loan to make. Yeah. Marx's point is, every worker is loaning the capitalists their money because they don't get paid until the end of the week or the end of two weeks, right? So right. all that surplus labor you're doing, that's creating surplus value for the two weeks, just goes into the capitalist pocket and doesn't get doesn't get reimbursed. I mean, the, the, uh, sorry, all the necessary labor because the surplus labor never gets reimbursed. Right, right. So Marx yeah, makes this distinction. We haven't talked about this, but Marx, his dis- his distinction is between that that labor that just reproduces me and as a worker and the capitalist as a capitalist is just called he calls it necessary necessary labor and, as mm-hmm, opposed to mm-hmm. surplus labor. Yeah. No. And the whole thing. So like, it's it's a uh, it's important to it's important to realize as, as like, as Marx is, is, uh, nicely, you know, lays out in, uh, in volume three, that like the whole, the whole system creates surplus value for the capitalists. And it's, how is that redistributed? How is the surplus labor like distributed for the capitalists? And it's just, it's, it's hoovered up is what, is what happens. It's not distributed out. By you know, Herbert it's, it's, Hoover, or who? Who? What, what do you mean? By <laughs> do you know? I make this point about the um, the uh, the the opening song of uh, of uh, it's all of all in the family. That like one of the lines is, uh, "Mister, we could use a man like Herbert Hoover again, who yeah. is a reviled president." Right. And to the point that people think this that the vacuum cleaner company Hoover is named after him because Hoover sucks. 
That's pretty good. That's Thank pretty you. good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, um, so <laughs> the yeah, so the 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 creation the creation of uh, of surplus value is it's like itself this is how I think of it. Maybe this is different from 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 Marx and I, and I think for for someone like um for someone like David Harvey, probably this is this would not be a, a helpful way. I, th- I think he, he would think the thing that I'm about to say makes it perhaps contributes to a mystification of it. I, th- I think he wants to get he. This is just a, a sort of a side comment. He has this companion to Grund to uh, Grundrisse, which I, I think overall is very helpful for you know understanding it. But he does not unless he's talking about Marx using the phrase surplus value. Harvey doesn't prefer that. He prefers surplus capital. So like he, for for him and I, I think for other people who do follow Marx that they, they try to, they do try to make him more, I don't, I think more a materialist and then try to take, take the, take like, like the, like the idea of value is abstract. So we're not going to say value. We're going to say surplus capital, but I think that it is precisely the abstraction. That is how it works because if it was evidently raw and material to anybody, even through like knowledge or a course of education in economics, I think it, it would, would occur. It would just, we would never stop thinking about how wrong it is, but it is because it is value and it is like amorphous and it does change and it does like leach into these different ways of, yes. of like, pr- like, like producing capital. Like, like the, I just think like the streaming thing is such a good idea. Like it doesn't even seem like anyone works at Netflix when you interface with Netflix as an app. I know. It's a, Especially if you you're trying to get a hold of customer service. Yeah, <laughs> to cancel. That's a great point. But or really, like, for any know, reason, they don't. They, no reason. one. They're not. They're not wasting any capital on surplus uh, customer service. They're not even. No. There's not even any necessary customer service. There's none. No, no. I mean, like that's even like like Spectrum, like my uh, cable, pro- the TV provider uh, in internet here is the same way. Is like. They do not want you to call them. They want they you to use the, call. the app or the yeah. or or the the yeah. AI chatbot or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's like, and it's really funny because you have to go through that to like get to the thing you know, which is like the problem that you are trying to get them to talk about is cannot be solved by the chatbot because they don't let you right. do that. Right. And so anyway, that 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 whole thing. So, but it, it's like when you interface with these things, it it it's like. It doesn't seem like anybody works at Netflix or if they do, they're just in like acquisition of shows or whatever. And then like, it's, it, of course, you know, the actors are working and, 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 uh, you know, the writers write the things and, 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 and they, they put it out there, but like the compensation is not really a part of it until they, they go on strike. Like, like they do now, like, like that, like compensation for like that particular industry, like it, it is remains, an amorphous kind of thing. Like, you know, like you, that, and that's even part of, that's like part and parcel of what the whole Hollywood strike is, which is that like you inter interface with Netflix to watch things that star certain people and they don't get the money for it, you know, like the, or it's, it's just such a, it's a paltry sum. And it's like, so Netflix gets the money, but they didn't produce the thing. They just gave, streaming space to it and perhaps even they just aggregated it i mean they i think that it and maybe thing. even throttle it and, and and make it at a worse version of it until, until unless you pay more for it and it's like there's like every at every point there's so like there it's just such a i think that's why like the the like hewing closely to the amorphous like uh nature of like a a, a parasitic thing you know like like again like leeching and attaching itself to these like different uh, different aspects of, of like one thing such just to continue with the Netflix example is that like 
the surplus value created from uh like what did they what did they do recently? They got rid of you sharing the password with multiple people right. outside of like one uh, uh Wi-Fi uh, uh net network, okay? A home Wi-Fi network. So there was that. But then it's just like again, it's the not paying people uh like the there was a lot of stories about like how the TV show Suits was unexpectedly like a top streaming series for like multiple weeks and there were people who worked on suits that wanted to tell people like look this is what we got paid for this which is very very little um and then there so there's there's like that whole piece to it the the whole that whole back end and even like it, it's just it, like it's, it's, it's mystifying the, like where where the where the, where the money goes like you pay for the subscription and then it just seems like why should all of that be your problem Right. Like you're right. and and when when you you know, you're exploited at your own job and and like, why should you care about this person who's doing a creative job? They probably have a lot of time off more than you do. Why should I care about that plate? Like, welcome to the wor- to the world of work. Uh, uh, you know, it's you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps, you know, like like that's like that's the a, a very easy attitude to to adopt, especially towards something that seems like more glamorous than what you do. But it it's it's on exactly this axis that it becomes mystified, which is like you know you're exploited, and then it's really easy to just be like to just focus on your own exploitation and not imagine that exploitation is generalized with absolutely everything, like everything you do, anywhere you walk into, anything you do. I think it's like it's almost too much to think, I think about. That's right. And yeah, and 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 th- so this is the. This is the dimension of Marx that I think is available to be like exported into psychoanalysis. I don't think he quite has the has that going on like himself, which is I think asking too much personally of, right. of him to have also come up with that. But it's it's interesting. Like um, in the introduction to Volume One, Ernest Mandel has this really nice phrase where he says that for the capitalist, there's a compulsion to compete which I, I just have to think that he's thinking about Freud when he, when he writes that phrase. It's a, it's a wonderful phrase. Um, but I don't think, I think we, we went over this. There's, there's a great, let me see if I have it in front of me. Uh, I think it's on eight, eight ninety nine. Is that where we had it, Todd? I think of capital volume one. I think that's yeah, correct. Capital volume one. Sometimes, uh, fun, this is a fun little thing. Sometimes Todd and I, to decide what we're going to talk about, like what lines from a thing is it's like the film eight men out where the, to try to figure out if the, uh, Chicago white Sox were throwing ball games or if there were, if it was cheating, there are two guys sit on opposite ends of the stadium. And it, when they're notating the baseball game, they try to, they, they each notated independently from each other what the suspicious play was. Yeah. And then they get back to, then they wanted to see if there was any overlap. So you and I both had a double star on this line. That's correct. Uh, That's yeah. Correct. <laughs> In capital yeah. volume one, uh, eight the silent compulsion of economic relations sets the seal on the domination of the capitalist over the worker. Wonderful sentence. Yeah. The, um, and it does, and it sounds like that sounds you know, especially for people who read the way that we do, who are on the lookout for, for certain things. Boy, does that sound psychoanalytic, silent compulsion. You know, it, 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 it makes like, like once, I don't know, it it would seem to imply, I I think if you're coming at it from a psychoanalytic angle that like the capitalist doesn't really know why they, they do, they do capitalism. 
right. there is this this thing that compels them, and the thing that compels them is surplus value, surplus this value. domination right. over the over the worker. Right. Um, but it is one of these things where it just kind of sounds that way in English. Can you go through this for for the listener? Because the German is is yeah. different. So the German is der stille swung, right? Like so, the silent. What would you call it? The silent force, right? The silent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you could say a silent compulsion, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think it has that same kind of psychic. Uh, I think we think of compulsion as a psychic process, right. whereas I think swung and swing in the verb form he uses later in the next or two sentences down. I don't think it has the same sense and and I that's too bad obviously because it would be cool mm-hmm. but I think that Marx I this would be our critique I think that he doesn't there's it's not about surplus value in and how the psyche relates to surplus value right. although to be fair the the the, the, the very and, and you said this I think the reason why people have m- a lot of people have moved away from surplus value is that it seems too abstract. It seems too psychic. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a reason to be suspicious of it. But I think that that's, I think that in, one of the things to me, it's, I, 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 as I said before, I think it's Marx's great, his great achievement is to make this distinction between profit, which is mystified as you've pointed out mm-hmm. in all these ways and surplus value, which is not. And, and, his idea is that if you think about things in terms of surplus value, so if you think about, okay, there's a certain amount of necessary labor time to re to to keep the machine that you're working on, or let's t- choose the Netflix thing to keep the production of the series going, to keep the everybody fed that's working on the series, to keep Netflix in business, to keep all that stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a certain necessary labor time that has to be devoted to that. Let's say it's four hours a day. So just mm-hmm. to keep everything going, that's probably very high. It's probably, <laughs> sure. it's probably much less. It's probably, let's say, two hours a day. Uh, and then shows work, the people work a long time on shows. So let's say they work an extra, t- they were 12-hour days. So they work another 10 hours on the show to get it out that 10 hours is all surplus labor and it mm. all goes, it gets translated when people are buying the thing, it gets translated into profit. And I think that that Marx's idea that, that profit is always mystifying is correct. And then the idea that you, if once you see things in terms of surplus value, it's like the scales come from your eyes. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. you see, wait a minute, it's not this great, capitalist genius. We're so bombarded with stories about that today, right? Mm-hmm. Elon Musk, mm-hmm. Bezos, whoever, like that, the idea yes. is that that's how value gets created. And Marx wants to say, no, it's only through this genius of the capitalist doesn't, you need an idea, but mm-hmm. then the, the, the value gets created by the labor that is done in excess of reproduction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that this, and I think this is what, this is what Marx means, like closer to what, like like what he would mean by the, by the word that gets translated into English as compulsion is it is a, a structural 
force yes. that yes. compels surplus value into existence. Correct. And that a very, very necessary part of this, as you're just saying, is that we see it's, it's, it's so important for capitalism to sustain itself that we see the product as value and not surplus value right as value right right i think that's the key thing ryan it's such it's such a great point that that if you we're focused on the commodity mm -hmm. so as not to see surplus value so it's not just Mm -hmm. profit i think it is obviously it is profit but as both producers and consumers we're thinking i think less in terms of profit than in terms of the commodity thing like, mm-hmm. can I get that commodity or what new commodity can I create to sell to people? I think we right. really think in terms of the, that's why I, that's why Marx begins capital one with, with the, this hundred page chapter on the commodity, because mm-hmm. that's the, mm-hmm. that's what's crucial to masking surplus value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that it has to be right. Yeah. It has to be. I, I think it has to be. I mean, I, I, and I think it's, again, it's, it's asking, uh, it's asking him too much to, to all to, cause the question is, and this is what, kind of what I find really fascinating is, is like he, he does, he does a lot in, th- in volume three. And uh, as people may or may not know, there, uh, there are notes that are published as, uh, something called theories of surplus value that was going to be, uh, capital volume four. Um, but it's, uh, I mean, I think you can just, download it uh, there's three volumes yeah you can get you can get it or you could buy there's a huge thick paperback i don't know if it's still in print i think it was done by international publishers but i'm not sure uh but i don't know is it worth it (laughs) i don't want to say that (laughs) you don't want to you know well i don't want to say that i think it's kind of somebody's money yeah i just think it's not great i think i think capital one and capital three are great i think grunderous is great and then, mm-hmm. yeah, and then I would probably stop. But I mean, you think, obviously, um, you can you read too. You if you want to yeah. get from one yeah. to three, two is in between. Is is, <laughs> is important. It's a little I guess bit, I mean, it's about the circuit of capital, basically. Right, right, right. So right, which you know, I, is that a little less, a little less sexy? Yeah, you know, it's, not it's shorter. Thank God. So, <laughs> but oh, we More should say only Capital One was published in Marx's lifetime. So yeah, not yeah, so no one Engels published two and three, but he did not publish Grundis, so he did not publish theories of surplus value. So that's mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. that's a if you think that Engels was more true to the spirit of Marx, then those texts will have more authority for you, I think. But mm. but I don't I think they're all probably fine. The question is just would he have would he have changed them before he published them? Yeah. Right. I don't yeah. think anybody thinks the texts have been tampered with in some malicious way or cut, but I think they think, well, would he have even put this out? Mm. Maybe not. Yeah. Probably. What not. would have been, I mean, it's really the question of uh, what would have been sharpened? You right. Know, like hopefully you, you know, cut. I mean, or cut. <laughs> although Capital One is a thousand pages, so maybe yeah. he would have expanded. That would be the fear i think he could have been like uh like george rr R. martin writing the uh that's right the, the next installment of a song and i of, of yeah that's so, right the, that's right the, can i just tell you this this hegel joke about the stoic yeah, chrysippus <laughs> so he's okay. like so chrysippus was famously wrote a ton 
but none of his work survived to the to modernity. And Hegel said, looking at the little fragments that we have, if faced between the choice of having none of his work like we have now and having all of it, it's a really hard decision. <laughs> so I think... <laughs> I feel like that about about the you know uh, uh, revised Marx version of Capital Two and Three and Grandissa. I don't know if we can just maybe it's better to just be content with what we have because he probably would have added a ton. And yeah, there's enough. Yeah. That's enough. Yeah, yeah. I, so I to have yeah to have the version we have, which as we said, we think Three is the is the masterpiece anyway. Masterpiece, I think yeah. it is. It's interesting because it does it leaves the and this is um, going to kind of be our uh, connective tissue into the next episode, which is going to be about, I mean, we don't normally do this, but I'll just, I'll say it right now. It's going to be yeah. about surplus enjoyment. Yes. So we're going to make this sort of step because what I, I think I would phrase it this way for the aims that, that Mark sets out, like he doesn't have to have a psychical explanation for why this system sustains itself when right. it ha- when it is so clearly marked on on exploitation i think like the 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 material explanation that he gets to is is that like it's you know it's because of the it's because we're exploited that we're compelled to you know continue to contribute in it right and i right. think that like there is a i mean there's a lot of truth to that like yeah. like you you know um you like to go back to the, the more you're thing, exploited the more you give in to exploitation to, right, to, you to got, keep you know, going. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely Rent true. Keeps it's going absolutely up. true. Yeah, you got to, you know, like so, like that is like that's definitely true. Absolutely there, true. The um, there is the like it does leave this. It does. Uh, I, I would say um, lead us to seeing. Let's put it that way. It's not a. It's not a deficit in 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 his work in the sense that it's something that he should have done. It's something he could. It's something that could be there, but it would, it would require such a. I think such a leap in the way that um he thinks about. Uh, consciousness to have also developed the unconscious the way that Freud talks about it, which is not right. it's, it's something he should have done, but it's like, and this is why we're going to talk about surplus enjoyment in the next episode is, is that like what is in it for the worker when they're not working in the system? That's where I would, that's where I would, I would, I would put it there. There has to be some appeal when you're not working to right. continue to participate in this system or to see it uh, in ways that are not, Oh, I don't know that are, that are not as, as viscerally offensive as when you are being exploited yourself. Yeah. I don't, I don't think Marx has a theory about that, Ryan. I just think he thinks it's inexorable and I, yeah. the force of it and the force of having mm-hmm. to trying to survive mm-hmm. and he doesn't, this is all related, I think. He doesn't have a theory of suicide. Like That would be the first thing I would think. If I was concerned and focused on the working class, my first question mm. would be, okay, why aren't these people just killing themselves? Mm. Right? Isn't that the psycho... I mean, that Hegel has... Hegel For, for Hegel, what separates humanity, what hap- separates the speaking subject isn't so much language. It's the, it's the ability to, and the desire to kill itself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. so if your prospects are terrible, why why aren't why aren't people killing? I think that's a yeah. I mean, Marx would never that just question never comes up for him. 
That's, and I, that's a, a, it's a fascinating way of putting it. I mean, like, you know, you do like, there are, of course, like, so this would be the thing is that like you, you have the, I think, you know, you do, you do have the stories of course of the, like, you know, the, the, the factories, what is it? Foxconn in yeah, China where people did that, do it. Like, right. Right. And then they put nets, but that doesn't fit within Mark. I don't think that fits within the Marxist X. I think Marx has no space for workers jumping out the windows. Because of the degree of exploitation they faced, for him, you're, you're, yeah, it would go lead ahead. to a revolution. Would you say? Is that what you're? Well, I was. Okay. Go, that's interesting that you would say that. I was going to say for him, the capitalists will just continue to push exploitation as far as possible, and the worker just takes it. The yeah. worker takes it unless there's activists who teach the worker that they're part of a collective and they develop yeah. class consciousness. Yeah. Right. That I, yeah. I don't think there's otherwise you just take it as an individual yeah. worker for Marx. There's no possible. There's no such thing as a as a revolt against mm. against the, the because, again, I think the structures of surplus value appropriation is so inexorable for him. It's so mm-hmm. str- it's part of the structure of existence. Under capital, in capital society, not obviously not existence as such. So I think that's, yeah. It's the success of the isolation, right? Like, I mean, that would be. Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. But I, it's interesting to me what I'm, obviously it's interesting to me because I'm going (laughs) on it. Because you're saying it, yeah. uh, That he, there's no, this existentialist, anxiety in the fa- or rejection of existence or c- struggle with existence it doesn't have a place for him i i, I think i said this to you a couple of weeks ago when we were first kind of planning this i think that's this having read this and then we thinking through this uh, even though he doesn't say this exactly i think this is what draws sart to write the two right. volumes of yeah. the critique of dialectical reason which we talked right. about couple months back i think he sees that i I don't want to say it again i don't want to say it as deficit because i don't know that like like again because he's he's trying to explain how this system that seems to that's that mystifying the way that it works like you know he's trying to uh reveal the gears you know in in the the, trying to make visible the invisible so again i'm not i don't want to use the word the word deficit exactly but like i think sartre rightly sees like you know there is something here that is maybe missing which is the like the which right. is the existential dimension for sure for sure and, i think i think he, that's he a tries great to point. sew he tries to sew yeah. that up yeah, yeah i think yeah, it's yeah, a great yeah. point by you i think for, for the way that that would manifest itself in marx is like the the formation of a collectivity that revolts that that revolutionizes the system I think that's yeah. the only way yeah. that that existential dimension can realize itself. And I, I guess I think he's, he thinks that you can't have under capitalism, it, 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 it walls off any kind of genuine existential recognition. I think that's what he would say. Hmm. I, I think that's, that's interesting. That, yeah, yeah, I think that's what he would he, say. I mean, he does, he has that line. I mean, there's, there's the line, um, I mean, in, uh, I mean, there's the line in, in what is it? In, I think it's in German ideology, which is that like the um, like the the people that that the ca- the capitalists also 
controls the means of mental production so that those that don't have it, I don't have the line exactly in front of me, but like, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Those who, who, who don't have the control over mental production are subject to the, like the mental production, uh, of like th- that is foisted on them by the ruling class. Right. So I, right. I think that, I think that fits with what, with what you just said. Right. I think that that's is, is walled, it's right. walled off to them. Walled yeah. off. Right. I think that's yeah. right. And then I think it's interesting. Don't you think how the theory of revolution that Marx develops, even though it doesn't really get worked out in the three volumes of capital so much, a little bit. And there's this whole realm of freedom versus realm of necessity in volume three. Mm-hmm. But the theory is basically that capitalism did a good thing by minimizing our necessary labor time and maximizing our surplus. And then when revol- when the revolution comes, we'll, st- we, we'll have this minimal necessary labor we'll have to do. And then mm-hmm. we'll still do some surplus, but everyone will benefit from it. Yeah. The, 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 right. the generalizing of the, of the surplus. Yeah. Of the, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So that, so that all of a sudden the productivity, this is his idea. I, I, and this seems to me the way in which Marx is, this is, and what I'm going to say is controversial, but I, I think it's right that Marx is at, Marx himself is at odds with an ecological, at least an ecology that thinks we should restrain our production. Because I think his belief is capitalism, I'm pretty sure this is, that he thinks this, uh, although there are people that think he doesn't, so it's not an uncontroversial statement, that capitalism keeps productivity at an artificial limit because it's trying to appropriate surplus value. But under communism, there's no limit. That, that limit goes away. Mm-hmm. And so we can increase our productivity ultimately infinitely, he thinks. Mm-hmm. And so I mm-hmm. think that that, obviously, <laughs> I mean... You could you could have a theory that if we really increased our productivity, we'd develop fusion and every, and then there'd be no more environmental catastrophe. Sure. But I don't think most people that think in terms of ecological crisis think that. Do you think so? I guess so. I'm going to imagine the uh, the the Marxist uh, screaming at you uh, in their head yes, good, right now. Good. Good. Uh, banging on the, uh, you know, be, be careful if you're driving, don't, you know, look out, look out to your right and your left, um, and in front of you. They Come shouldn't have to look to their left. They're probably at the far left. Well, I, we don't know where they're driving. we got a lot of people who I, I was some speaking minimal amount of respect for us in the yes. United Kingdom. Okay. So that's the, no, the, but I was um, thinking left politically. Sorry. Oh, no, I see what you're saying. <laughs> I was too. I was too too much of a vulgar Marxist about yes, that. Yes, you were. I was. I was in the raw materiality. Okay, so yeah. here's here's what the person would be saying is that that whether you 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 may be right based on you know actually literally what he wrote, but the uh, the gravity and the the depth of the climate crisis is just not something that he could have known about, and if he, that this was explained or shown to him that there would have been some adjustment in the way that, that he thought. I think that that might be what somebody would say to you is that or, like, it's, it, it's not, it's not like he, he does. And in volume three, which, you know, was the thing that we covered the most for, um, for today, or like we read 
for today. The most, I mean, he does go into like, he thinks that uh, capital requires crisis. Yes. Capitalism absolutely needs absolutely. it. Absolutely. So, right. And, um, the, so there are kinds of like labor crises and then, and then, and revolutions and like, like po- political, like, like these kinds of crises. So, but the, the idea of like a, an economic collapse that may have eluded him just because of the, the scale of what we look at now is just so different from yeah. what he was alive. So because the scale is so different, he would have adjusted. Like what would, I don't know, what, what would you say to that? Or this changes okay. everything, okay. right? That's the Naomi Klein book about the climate catastrophe. Yeah, and I think right. you're, I think that's, I think that's a fair point. I think it's a fair point that to the letter, what I'm saying is right about Marx. But mm-hmm. if you think about it, uh, he was not an idiot. He would have seen that that's not, <laughs> that that's not going to, that we have to adjust our thinking based upon the climate catastrophe. I think that's fair enough. I do think that this is not a point original to me. It's a point original to Slavoj that what he doesn't see is the way that the limit, the artificial limit that capital introduces actually doesn't restrict productivity, but mm-hmm. generates it. And yeah. so yeah, yeah. I don't think there's a theory yeah. of value initiated by the limit in Marx. I don't mm-hmm. think that, mm-hmm. I don't think, I think that's the, so there is a limit, but mm-hmm. for him, the limit is artificially introduced by capital. Mm-hmm. And I, th- to me, it's actually that introduction of the limit that creates this incredible productivity that capitalism enjoys. Mm. And, and without been more Hegelian. You, you exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think Marx on this question of what happens when you get rid of the limit is not a Hegelian thinker. Correct. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's right. I would just I, I want to just slightly switch to talk about one other thing, and sure. this comes this comes back to our, and it's a it's an example of what Marx is talking about, or and also about the mystification that we were talking about. Isn't it odd that most artistic critiques of capitalism mm-hmm. are none of them focus on? I can think of one ex- exception. None of them focus on production. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Tease so, that out for me. So Babbitt, the Sinclair Lewis novel, it's all mm-hmm. about a sales guy. Death of a Salesman, okay. all about it. Okay. These are the very famous literary and dramatic critique of capitalism. What about the jungle? Is that, is that not? Okay, jungle's okay. a good example of one that does. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say Glengarry Glen Ross is a recent oh, film, not recent, yeah. 30 years ago, uh, film that, that, that is critical of profit, but you, there's no way that to see surplus value that they're selling land that doesn't exist. I mean, that's part of the scam. Hmm, right. It exists, right, but it right. does, has no value. It seem, they make it seem like it has value. doesn't have any value. That's, I always think the, this yeah, scene, can I, sorry, the scene, I know this, this is, I think a minor one. I mean, in a film that is like just, uh, uh, lousy Incredible. with great, great yeah. scenes. It's just right. absolutely riddled with them. Um, as though <laughs> so afflicted by chickenpox. It's um, it's with Alec Baldwin's greatest performance. This is great. Absolutely, yeah. it's absolutely great. Yes. The um w- one of the I think the more minor ones that I that I love from that movie is Pacino in the uh, in the bar in the bar right, and he is absolutely seducing that guy. Yeah, he is like, 
And it is so like he like the way that he talks, the way he touches the drink, he's getting him to get this to buy the property. And then when that guy comes with his wife, he comes back to the office and yeah. Pacino needs to get out of there. It is just like the affect is completely different because the spell has been it's just been removed. Broke. I know. It's but like oh god, it's so it's so great. And it's it's a really nice uh yeah, the nice object lesson of the like of the spell that, that does it does get it does get cast. So that's like kind of the, so that's like one of one of those things that I think it's um the the like the there's there are two two things there which is like you can you could kind of read that like that German ideology that like that that point about like you know mental production being uh, like you're subject to yeah yeah the way yeah. that the, the ruling yeah. class produce but then this is the thing and I, I think we're we're kind of we're gonna get into this in the next episode is like if that were so successful then like Marx could have never theorized that. You know, right? right. Like if right. if if the ruling class is really so successful robbing mental production from people who don't have their hands on the levers of of uh, of, of production, then they would just we just never know about it. And it it's is such a good point. True. Ryan. Well, such thank you. Point. Yeah, I mean, it is true that like a lot of people don't, but you, yeah. but that doesn't. That's not. But the idea is. They did, like should be it should in here that no one could know that. So then, like, how did Marx himself know that? I, I know like it's he, a, it's really funny. So you're 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 quoting a great thinker of the 20th century who's talking about someone else. So Alexander Kozhev said about Spinoza, his system was perfectly right, except no one could have written it. <laughs> right, 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 right. And it's the same thing. Yeah. It's exactly what you're saying about Marx that if he was really totally correct about this mm-hmm. structural just absolute force that's working mm-hmm. then this inexorable quality to it then he couldn't then marx himself could not exist and I, one of the things yeah. that we like to say is your theory has to have a place for you to have the theory yeah 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 if it doesn't have that then there's a, that's a problem with your theory and i i i think you and i both think that the greatness of hegel is he's const that's the thing he's constantly doing he's mm-hmm. constantly mm-hmm. thinking okay i have this insight what allows me to have what allows me to have this insight has to be part of the insight mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can't you can't separate them and i think and that that is not and he's true. often and he's sometimes like uh, you know in later things he's sometimes less than his theory, which I Correct. think also proves the point. Yes. You know, like, yeah. 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 But, uh, but I don't think that is true of Marx. And I think you're, that's what you're, you're getting yeah. at, but you're yeah. right. Like yeah. that's a, like that absolute seduf, seduf, seductiveness mm. of the, of the commodity mm. because mm-hmm. the commodity. And, and I think this part of Glengarry Glen Ross is really good. The commodity is shit. It's ter- It has no yes. value. And yet it's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's glistening because mm. of what Ricky Roma played by Al Pacino makes it yes. into. Yes. But again, the problem is that we don't see the way in which the val- capitalism is obviously in Glengarry Glen Ross a scam, mm-hmm. but it's, it, because it, we're seeing such an obvious scam, it makes you think, well, there's some kind of capitalism that's not a scam. Right. People that are building <laughs> yeah. cars or whatever. Sure. But the real critique would say, no, it's the just the ordinary capitalism mm-hmm. that's the scam. Mm-hmm. And don't you think there's one? I don't, maybe you'll tell me there's other ones. I can okay. only think of, and it's not a great 
the beginning of it is amazing. The rest of it is not good, but the beginning is pretty great about the way, about surplus value, really, and about this extraction mm-hmm. of surplus value by increasing labor speed. Okay. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? You're talking about Willy Wonka. I, <laughs> no, Close. I don't know. What do you, what? I'm talking about modern <laughs> times. Modern, modern times. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. man. I, yeah. That was on the, yeah, that was kind of there. I thought, okay, yeah, yeah. modern times. Yeah, yeah. I think that that, can you think of another one where you get this, he's working on an assembly line. They keep speeding Mm -hmm. him up. He doesn't have time for any human things like wiping his brow or blowing his nose. And he becomes part of the machine. It's it's very obvious depiction of reification, the way that the labor becomes, disappears into this machine quality. Uh, but I can't, and even that film, I'm tempted to think that the how terrible that film becomes after the first 23 minutes or something is itself a response to the the fact that, oh, he made this thing that was the real insight into capitalism, and then he had to just, he had nothing to do with it. He didn't know how this to. Is, this is, if you had a, I, I know, I know you're, you're, I don't, I know you're probably not going to, well, I shouldn't say not, going to write another book solely about film, but I do think this is a theory of yours that has is original to this podcast and like our conversations, which is that when a film does something so radical, it has to almost, it has to include some retrograde element. Yes. And I, yeah. and that I think you should write, I think you should write that up. I think I'm not going to do that, but I think that that's okay. really, <laughs> I think it's really true. I think it's really yeah, true. I agree with you. I, I, yeah. I find it convincing. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's like the, um, you know, <laughs> Holiday Inn ends. Oh my God! A, Holiday Inn is a sequel. great example of that. <laughs> Holiday Inn ends with them making a movie that is the movie that is about what happens <laughs> in the film, and you're just like, did, did I, I don't think I, I knew that Bing Crosby invented Eight and a Half, and it's like, of course that film also has uh, like unforgivable blackface like right. in, in it, right. and. Uh, and, and and a Mamie character also on, unfor- you know, like, so of course it has it in there. Like, the, yeah. of course it would, because yeah. it has the other thing. So, right. yeah, yeah. that's. And then when yeah, they redo like a, it as White Christmas, they take out the radicality and the, at the same time they take out the racism. Yeah, right, right, right. right exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, pretty right. good. Yeah, no, it's, it's I think it's, tr- look, obviously there are some great masterpieces, but e- I think the theory would be even they have this retrograde point that they can't, they can't. I think Wells would say about Kane, his famous line, "It's Dollar Book Freud." This relationship <laughs> to the to the mother, right? That he, yeah, like there's this great thing about the object, but then there's this. Oh, if he just stayed with his mother, everything. You watch the film, and it seems like everything would be fine. So I think that that's a mm. that's a well, that's a way it has this retrograde dimension. I think our friend Anna Cornblue gets into this a little bit in the book for. Um, the series that I am now, the series editor of uh, Fight Club, on a book practice. on Fight Club, yeah. yeah, on Fight Club, yeah. I mean, what she gets into, like, and no one. I mean, I've uh, um, maybe other people have brought this up somewhere. I'm sure people in, in in some way, but like the most sustained analysis of like that 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 is often celebrated as like a real anti-capitalist film, and it's like this was still made in Hollywood. This was right. still, still had like huge money backing to make it. Like, there's still like there's still exploited labor going on. And so like, she really, really leans into this, like, okay, so what do we do about that? Like, I mean, right. like, do we like, like, do, do we now like 
we toss this off. It's now like a, like it's now a naive critique because it also had these like incredible like abuses and in production. And it seems to like, you know, under undermine its own idea just in the very fact of its existence, or does the fact of it having to exist in that way, tell us something about capital as a system. And then it can still make that point. I think that that's kind of where, where she comes to, but it's the way that she goes through that argument is, is well, well worth reading in, in that oh, it's particular a, volume. It's an incredible yeah. book, I think. Uh, yeah. It's Marx's called Marx's Theory Film Theory and Fight Club. And I think Fight Club would be another film that fits into this. It's really, it's trying, <laughs> Fight Club is almost trying, it has this terrible flaw, right? That it, it can only see the critique of capitalism through psychosis. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah and it, and it, and it, it, it it's, it's, its way of forming a political organization is is again through a psychotic break on the part of the main character mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. okay there's still it's still is one of the incredible political films ever made i think yeah so yeah 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 i think there is that there is this retreat from or how would you put it it's like this this you called it a retro the retrograde moment that makes the radical the radicality of the yeah. work possible. Yeah. 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 I think that's it. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's it. And, and those, and it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's one of those things where like, I think if you, um, if you, if you harp on the, not that it's not worth paying attention to the retrograde because it, it cause it is, I think in the structural of course. sense, of course, well yeah. worth paying attention yeah. to. But if you harp on it as the, like the thing that utterly undermines, destroys the work. Right then like I, I think we're I think we're not really left with much in in in, in the way of radical and it's just really easy to become then very cynical about all artistic enterprises and, uh, except for the most minimal at the most local level as as having any kind of like political potency like you know like and, right. and I think that that's that's um is is not a I'm not convinced that scale means something can't be radical. Like, so in other words, the really small thing always has the higher, the indie film, the, you know, the, like the, the small, the smallest kind of, uh, of, of, of installation of avant-garde art. Like that is, that is where the, the radical is, but it has to say, stay small because if it gets bigger than, then it, then the the complete, the whole thing is undermined. I just like, then it's, then we were just deciding to that you have no creative tools whatsoever to, uh, make to, to demystify the, the system that we for the last, how many years are just born into like, and everyone's just born into it. So like, I I think it's not, it's not worth, uh, it's, it's not worth, uh, it's not worth becoming the knight from uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail, about the whole thing. Yeah, uh, with his legs and arms uh, chopped That's good. off. That's good. You just well, call, I was we'll going to say, call it a draw, you know, I was, <laughs> I was going to say, you don't, you shouldn't reject the call to Berlin, right? Like Heidegger did. Like ah, you can still, yeah. you can still stay small scale and be a Nazi. <laughs> you, you still can, right? Like he stayed in Freiburg. <laughs> He stayed in the Black Forest. He didn't yeah. go to Berlin, but he was still yeah. a Nazi. And I would say, yeah. I think about this with That's Greta Gerwig. I read so many things. Oh, she was so great when she started out doing these small things, and now this Barbie's a total sellout. Right. My view is, I think most of those early films were kind of crappy, 
And now she's really made a nice Hegelian dialectical film. So I don't think, I think you're right. Like scale is not ethics and scale is not politics. And you should do whatever you can to get your thing out in the widest possible way, which is not to say like be a money grubber about things and try to make any kind of profit or realize Mm -hmm. as much surplus value as you can, but diffuse it as widely as you can. I just think that that's, it seems to me like that's the, and don't, and I think like, just like with Marx, right? Like you could say, because Marx makes this error about including himself within it, which you've Mm -hmm. brought up, Mm -hmm. then his whole theory of surplus, it's just nonsense. Right. Right, It undermines the whole thing. Yes. That would be a terrible thing. That'd be a terrible thing because you can say like, okay, that's a necessary error, but that gets the person to the insight. So you Mm -hmm. have to, Mm -hmm. you have to weigh both things, I think. And how and why is it so easy to do something like that, to not see yourself in a system that you are critiquing that I believe we will pick up next time. Next time. time. That's right. That's right. What's the lesson, Ryan? Oh, we got a lot of good ones. Um, I think, I think I'm leaning toward Glengarry Glen Ross. I am too, because even though modern times is the, is, was my example of the one film that shows the expropriation yeah. of surplus value. I can't yeah. really in a good conscience recommend that anybody <laughs> watch that whole film, but Glengarry Glenn Ross is a page turner. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's a minute mover, right? Tom? It, <laughs> that's right. Put the coffee down. There's the all, co- <laughs> you have a lot of great lines that you can, oh. I, here's my favorite line from the film. It's Pacino says it after Kevin Spacey mm-hmm. screws up his, his sale to the guy you're talking mm. about. He yeah. goes, he says, your job is to help us not fuck us up. <laughs> I, I, I've said that to the English department chair here on a couple of occasions. It didn't go well, but I thought <laughs> I, I didn't care. I just wanted to be able to say the line. You just was, want to be able to say the line. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Over and out, Ryan. Over and out, Todd.